Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Soundington Media! Hey, Meredith. Got any big plans for the summer? Yeah, I'm going to Michigan with you. Oh my gosh, that's right. We're married and we do everything together. Everything. Okay. I hope we see a deer and a waterfall and maybe a baby bear. Okay. Well, you know, if there's a baby bear, there's probably a bigger bear. Okay. There's, you know, because there's a nurse a major, there's a nurse a minor. Yeah. Wrapped it all back into the star talk. Yes. So why do you ask? Well, it's officially summer break. And while we usually learn about space and science during the school year, the stars are in the sky all year long. And I'm still curious about what's out there. Same here. And even though we're in between seasons here at REACH, why not check in with our community of experts and talented contributors to keep learning about space and science? Kind of like a mini summer school. Yeah. But like the fun kind. Yes, totally. Today on REACH, we're checking in with some out-of-this-world guests to learn about what it's actually like to go to space. And we'll check in with Jupiter's most musical of moons. I'm Meredith Stepien. And I'm Brian Holden. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. Even though we're airing this show in the summer break... School's out, everybody! Yes, it's always a good time to keep learning about space and science, especially if you're dreaming of exploring the stars one day. Summer is a great time to look at constellations in the night sky. It's warm, maybe you're getting to stay up a little later, you know what I mean? Marshmallows, a fire... Sure, why not? So anyway, that's got us wondering what it would be like to actually go to space, put on a spacesuit, and walk around. So we thought we'd reach out and ask our listeners, if you could walk in space, what's the first thing you'd do? Hi, my name is Blood, and if I could walk in space, the first thing I would do is see if there's better Wi-Fi on the moon and see if I could feel the heat from the sun. You know, I guess they are going to need Wi-Fi on the moon pretty soon because they're sending some astronauts back there with the Artemis missions. Yeah, how are they going to make TikToks without Wi-Fi? Exactly. Oh my gosh, moon talks? <gasps> on this special summer break edition of Reach, we were so fortunate to sit down with an astronaut who's actually walked in space. Dr. Chell Lindgren, NASA astronaut and member of the Artemis team, spent 141 days in space and logged 15 hours and four minutes of spacewalk time. That's a long time to be out in space walking. It is. Wow. And he's been assigned to command the NASA SpaceX Crew-4 mission to the International Space Station, scheduled to launch in 2022. So cool. We had the opportunity to speak with Chell about a lot of topics, ranging from what it's like to walk in space, how zero gravity affects the human body, and even the fantastic veggie lettuce experiment, plus his advice for listeners who may want to one day go to the moon. Let's have a listen. Dr. Chell Lindgren, welcome to REACH. 
It's truly an honor to have you on the show here. Um, I know about you. I think our listeners are going to be very excited to learn about you. So for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show. This is, this is really fun. So my name is Tim Langer, and I have the privilege of working at NASA as an astronaut. So I uh, was born in Taiwan. I grew up mainly overseas, living in England uh, from third grade until my freshman year of high school and then finished high school in Virginia. I went to the Air Force Academy. I served in the Air Force and then I went into medicine. Throughout that whole time, I wanted to be an astronaut. I've wanted to be an astronaut for as long as I can remember. And so I took my medical skills to NASA and worked there as a flight surgeon for a couple of years, a, a doctor that takes care of the astronauts. And then um, in 2008, they announced another selection of astronauts. So I submitted an application and I had the great honor of being selected into the 2009 class of astronauts. So 14, 14 of us joined, we went through two years of training. And then in 2013, I was assigned to my first mission. I ultimately and I launched on a Russian rocket from Kazakhstan to the International Space Station. And now I'm actually training to fly to the space station again, but this time on SpaceX's Crew Dragon. Wow. I mean, that's a resume. There's not there's not a lot of gaps in your uh, in your employment history, are there? Not too many. It started with, uh, you know, I was mowing, lawn, mowing lawns back at home during the summer during high school and worked as um, worked in a library and, and just kind of built off of that. You know, I mowed lawns as well, and I think that that's just about all we have in common from there on out. Uh, <laughs> we, are, we are so excited to talk to you, and I know our listeners are excited as well. As you said, you, uh, you've been an astronaut or part of the astronaut class since 2009. You've been spent 141 days in space. You've done two spacewalks. It's amazing. But my understanding is that with your biology background, that you're actually an expert on the effects of weightlessness on our bodies. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What happens to the human body in zero-G environments? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's something that I don't think that we really think about a whole lot because our whole lives, you know, we are born, we grow up, we live in this environment where there's always gravity. And so it's really hard to think about what the absence of gravity does to us and does to our bodies. Here on Earth, you have people lay in bed to try and anticipate the effects of zero gravity on their bodies. That's absolutely right. It's, they're called bed rest studies. Um, we use them as a model to understand some of the changes that occur. And it's not a perfect model. Um, we don't do them as much as that we used to because now we have people living and working in space for long durations of time. So let's think about what those changes are. If I don't get out of bed, if I don't stand up, because just the act of standing up and walking around, we are exercising our muscles. We're putting force on our bones. When If I lift my arm or keep my head straight or squat down or bend over, I'm working against gravity in every single one of those motions. And that continues to stimulate the bones to stay healthy. And it's working muscles to, to lift my body against that force of gravity. And so two of the first things that we see are, we say muscle atrophy or weakening. It's as if your muscles are just shrinking because, shrinking because they're, you're not working them. And the bones begin to demineralize because they're not getting signals that we're uh, putting weight on them. They're not, we say, they're not loading them up. The bones start to, to lose bone material, lose calcium and become, if we didn't do anything about it, they would become very brittle 
and would be more prone to fracture and break. Another very big change is, is something that we call cardiovascular deconditioning. That is that the heart muscle begins to weaken as well. And one other issue that we've identified as a result of that is that we think that maybe there's increased pressure around the brain. And there's some medical conditions where we see that on Earth. Uh, but that pressure can get transmitted to the eyes and actually affect our vision. And so these are all sound like pretty terrible things. And so that's why we study them and continue to study them to try and counteract them. And so on orbit, we exercise every day. We have a, a, a something that looks like a universal gym. We can it can get up to 600 pounds, and so we're doing squats and deadlifts and and things again to load the bones to keep them healthy and to work our muscles. And we have a treadmill and an exercise bike to to get our hearts beating fast, so that we're exercising our hearts, our muscles, and our bones. Wow. That's amazing. Now, I, I knew that astronauts had ways to exercise in space to try and keep themselves healthy. And it's also, you know, for the kids out there, just by getting up in the morning and moving around a little bit, you're actually sometimes uh, exercising maybe more than an astronaut would be able to do naturally in space. So there you go. I want to ask you really quick about the veggie lettuce experiment. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? So we have been growing crops in space for a long period of time. Our crew was the very first crew that got to grow a crop and actually eat it. We grew uh, red romaine lettuce. It was named Outregis. And, uh, and so it was so cool to get to grow something in the space station, which is kind of stainless steel and white and a very kind of sterile looking to have something that was leafy and green and growing. This, uh, this life form there to, get take, to take care of it every day was just really kind of a highlight of uh, the beginning of my mission. And then the time came when it was fully grown and we got to harvest it. We took half of it and packaged it so that it would go back to the earth and we got to eat the other half. And so we made the salad. I put it on as best a, a hamburger that I could make on orbit. <laughs> um, and it was so good. Wow, that is so cool. Wow, And that'll be important the longer people stay in space, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, as we think about going... Uh, to the moon for long durations and periods of time and going to Mars, we've got to have some way to, to have sustainable food. And, you know, for our plants, we all know that not only can we eat plants like uh, like lettuce and, and, uh, and those sorts of things, but they can also participate in our ecosystem. They can use the carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. Um, they can benefit us psychologically. You know, millions of gardeners all over the world can attest to, to the psychological benefits of taking care of plants. And so to have that as a part of our daily life in space, I think is a really cool thing to think about. And that's why we're doing that. this research is to, to see if this is something that we can do for long periods of time. Yes, that's so true. And, you know, during the pandemic, I know a lot of people turned to taking care of houseplants or gardening as as a way to uh, cope with the stress that we're all living through at, at this moment. You mentioned creating some um, better environments and stuff like that when we go to the moon and Mars. So let's talk about going to the moon. My understanding is that you're currently training to fly the NASA SpaceX Crew 4 mission to the ISS, which is going to launch in 2022, and that you've been selected as a member of NASA's Artemis team, which is going to pave the way for the next lunar missions. So. Can you tell me what you're sort of excited about for NASA's Artemis mission? What, what are the things that you're working on? What are the things you're really excited about for when that mission comes about? 
I'll tell you what, I mean, the things that you just talked about, flying on the SpaceX Crew Dragon to the space station and being a part of the Artemis mission, our return to the moon. I mean, what an exciting and amazing time to be a part of NASA. Being a part of the Artemis team is such a thrill because it really represents these, these really determined next steps as we go back to the moon. This is one of the reasons that I, for the long, as long as I can remember, have wanted to be an astronaut is those iconic images of astronauts living and working on the lunar surface, exploring, um, driving around in the lunar rover. Amazing. Let me go back to ask you about your spacewalks. This is just such an unimaginable experience. What is going through your head as you step out of the airlock and into space for the first time? Boy, I don't know if I can even come close to to expressing what that experience was like. You know, we train, we spend hundreds of hours in that neutral buoyancy lab. We could not be successful at what we do in space without that training. But being in space, opening the hatch and seeing the earth rotating below, uh, to see that black inkiness of space, to see the outside of the space station. You know, we can look outside the window, look through the windows of the space station all the time and see the earth. But very rarely do you get to have that perspective of looking at the outside of the space station. And then the view is overwhelming because you have this this you know, thick plastic visor in front of you, but it gives you the, your entire field of view. And so the, the earth and space and the space station occupies that entire field of view. And, it, and it's amazing. So it is opening the hatch and going outside is all at the same time a little bit terrifying and amazing and exhilarating and and you try and temper all of that down because you know that you've got six to seven hours of incredibly hard work ahead of you. So you give yourself a moment to take a deep breath and just kind of take in this overwhelming view and then you count to 10 and then it's time to go to work. It was um, an absolute highlight of my experience uh, during that expedition, but also the hardest thing mentally and physically that I've ever done. Uh, incredibly rewarding, but also incredibly hard work. I mean, I think it is it is very hard to imagine, and uh, you know what that's what that's like. It's it's un, it's unbelievable. But I think it's so cool that we are—we have so many more people in space now than we have in decades past. And the future looks so bright for getting more and more people up there in space. Yeah, absolutely. We're really kind of at the crest of a new age of spaceflight with uh, our commercial partners um, and others in the industry that are looking for ways to to take non-professional astronauts to space, um, paying customers to, to have that opportunity to experience the Earth from that perspective, um, whether it's suborbital flight or an orbital flight, a visit to the space station, um, or a free flight in orbit where you're just flying around as a small capsule. I mean, all of those opportunities are scheduled to happen within the next year. Yeah. Uh, it's really a, a change to you know how we have done spaceflight in the past and very very exciting and hopefully you know this is a space podcast for kids after all so hopefully some of our younger listeners by the time 
you're adults, uh, you know, who knows what will be possible? Who knows where we'll be or if we'll be exploring Mars by that point or what the results of the Artemis missions will be? It's very exciting to think about. Well, I'll tell you, you know, your listeners are our next generation of explorers and leaders and scientists. And so uh, I'm grateful that you have this podcast to, to really communicate the importance um, and excitement uh, of science and exploration. But it, what I think is really cool is just thinking about the fact that one of your listeners could be the first person to, to step on Mars. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. From lawnmowers to uh, inspiring the next generation of astronauts. <laughs> Well, actually, Chell, let me give you this opportunity to speak directly to the listeners, especially those who, you know, I imagine many of our listeners dream about being astronauts themselves. What advice do you have for our listeners who dream about a career in space exploration? Well, hold on to that dream. You know, right now, the path to becoming an astronaut, the opportunity, it seems like those odds are 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 astronomical, uh, but but it, it can happen. And the secret to making that happen, it's a simple answer, but hard to execute. And, that, and so that secret to becoming an astronaut is hard work, that you've got to put in the time studying and working hard at pursuing that dream. It requires hard work on your part. But this opportunity of becoming an astronaut is not an individual accomplishment. Uh, it is it is a team accomplishment, and it is the result of the investment and mentoring of so many people along the way. When I think about back on my journey to this job, I think about my parents and friends and family and teachers and mentors, coaches and teammates that all invested in me and poured into me over the course of that path. And so my encouragement to your listeners is to to make that dream, to hold on to that dream. If you want to become an astronaut, commit to that. Um, absolutely. And share that dream with your teachers, with your parents. Let them know. It, maybe it's a little embarrassing. Um, I didn't think that I shared the dream as much as I did, but as I look you know, on Facebook and talk with my friends, apparently I was fairly vocal about the fact that I wanted to become an astronaut because everybody reminds me that they remember uh, me talking about it. But. Share that dream if people know that that's what you're aiming for, whether it's to become an astronaut, a scientist, an engineer, a teacher, um, an artist. Share that dream because people want to see, see you succeed. They will invest in you. They'll walk alongside you. They want to help you achieve that dream. Right now, the things that you can do are read. Read, read, read. Spend time reading about things that interest you. Read about uh, the world around you. Reading is so critically important. And then, you know, we talked about that goal and whether the goal is you want to be an astronaut or if the goal is like, hey, you want to learn how to play the violin, a particular song on, on the violin or the saxophone, or you want to complete a, um, a series of books, uh, or you have a college that you're looking at, find those goals and start working towards them every day. Just a little, just a little bit of work every day Instead of playing an hour of video games, maybe play 30 minutes of video games and then spend 30 minutes reading about, you know, if you want to be a ship captain, reading about ships and reading about navigation or those sorts of things. A little bit of progress every day. Uh, you'll be amazed at where you end up. I think that that is some of the best advice for our listeners that we've ever had. And two points in particular. 
sharing your dream so important because you need to you need to speak uh, your hopes and dreams out loud so that people can help you. Like you said, you know, people need to know that that's what you want. And also, the more you say something, the more you kind of put it into your own minds that it can happen and that maybe it will happen. And the other thing that I think is probably some of the best advice we've ever had is you don't need to cut out video games altogether. All right. Just cut it in half. Okay. We don't need to cut. We don't need to stop playing altogether. Video games are important too, but, you know, do something else, you know, cut it in half and spend half your video game time, uh, you know, researching your dreams. I think that video games helped me become better at robotic arm operations. So part of what we've got to do is learn how to use a robotic arm. And the crazy thing is, is that we've got two controllers. So one controls um, rotation and one controls translation. And it turns out that those controls are the exact same controls that you have on a video game controller. One controls rotation, one controls uh, translation. Mom, I'm studying to become an astronaut. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> well, Chell, Dr. Lindgren, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really, really appreciate your time. We know that your time is valuable and that you have a lot of important space work to do. So we're going to let you go, but thank you so much for joining us on Reach. It's such a privilege to have gotten to, to chat with you. Thank you so much for the time and this opportunity. Thanks so much for joining us on Reach, Chell. Good luck on your upcoming flight. We'll be cheering you along on your way back to space. What a great time catching up with NASA astronaut Dr. Chell Lindgren. Totally. And we're equally excited to have caught up with our very good friend, Jupiter's second largest moon. <gasps> That's right. Let's give a big Reach welcome to Callisto on this week's edition of Did You Know? Hello, Callisto. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Brian Meredith. Did you know that I am almost the size of planet Mercury and in Jupiter's second largest moon and the third largest moon in our solar system? Cool. Did you know I was discovered in 1618 by Italian scientist Galileo Galilei, along with Jupiter's three other largest moons, Ganymede, Europa, and Io? My surface is covered in ice and is the oldest and most heavily cratered in the entire solar system. Whoa, that's amazing! I may have a salty ocean beneath my surface, and oxygen has been detected in my exosphere, making me one of the few worlds in our solar system that could harbor life. What is a day like in the life of Callisto? It is so lovely to be asked about a day in the life of Callisto. Cha-cha-cha. Moi, I mean, I am absolutely flattered. There was a time when no one thought I was in the least bit interesting. Just a hunk of rock and ice. I was called names like Dead Moon and Ugly Duckling Moon. But I thought, 
hurl all the insults and names you would like at me. On the four billion year old surface of things, I've dealt with far worse. I've been pummeled by asteroids and comets galore, and yet I am still here. After all, I was named after a woman who turned into a bear. A bear? Whoa. And the jokes on them, for they know not what lies beneath my oceans. <laughs> cha cha cha! Oh dear, I I think I might have gotten a little off topic. A, a day in the life of Callisto.、Uh, well, I wake up and I'm freezing all day long, just freezing. So I sing all day long. Good morning, Jupiter. How are you? Good morning, Ganymede. How do you do? Good morning, Europa. What a day! Good morning, Io. Just saying, hey. Good evening, Jupiter. How are you? Good evening, Ganymede. How do you do? Good evening, Europa. What a day! Good evening, Io. Just saying, hey. Good night, Jupiter. How are you? Good night, Ganymede. How do you do? Good night, Europa. What a day! Good night, Io. Just saying, hey. Oh, pardon me. I get a little carried away when I sing. Wow, that was amazing. That's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us this week on Did You Know? Toodaloo. Thank you for spending time with me, Callisto. <laughs> cha cha cha. See you later, Callisto. You know, Meredith, we talk a lot about stars and planets, but I got to tell you, Callisto is one incredible singer. Yeah, I kind of feel like Callisto needs a record deal and a TikTok account. That is a good idea. What an amazing conversation with NASA astronaut Dr. Chell Lindgren. I know, such a treat to catch up with Callisto at the same time. I think it's so cool to think about how one of our listeners who's listening right now could be one of the first people to walk on Mars, just like Chell was saying. Yeah, that really is amazing to think about. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of Reach. Stay tuned for more exciting surprises from Reach. And while we gear up for some evening sky watching throughout the summer, we'd love to hear from you. Got a question about space? Get your parents' permission and give us a call at three one two two four eight three four zero two. Leave us a message with your first name, where you're from, and your question for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. We can also accept your questions via email. Just send us your first name, where you're from, and what question you'd like answered to reachthepodcast at gmail dot com. As always, we want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the internet. And if you're not able to get online, many local libraries offer publicly available internet access. Thanks for joining us for this special summer edition of Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, Brian Holden, and Nikki Lindgren Moran. Reach is produced by Nate DeFort and Sandy Marshall, who's a Solar System Ambassador for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and edited by Nate DeFort. Our theme song and additional music was composed by Jesse Case, and our logo was created by the great Stephen Lyons. 
A very special thanks to NASA astronaut Dr. Chell Lindgren. You can follow Chell on Twitter at AstroChell or A S T R O underscore K J E L L. And on behalf of everyone at Reach, thanks again to Chell for joining us on the show. Callisto was voiced by the incomparable Nikki Lindgren Moran, who's an alum of the legendary Second City and has appeared on shows like ER. In addition to being an incredible performer and singer, as we heard, Nikki also just so happens to be siblings with today's astronaut guest, Chell Lindgren. Talk about a talented family. You're telling me, Brian. We'd also like to offer a special thanks to John Stephen, Courtney Beasley, and Megan Sumner in NASA's Public Affairs Office, to Kay Ferrari at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and to everyone at NASA Space Place. And as always, a big thanks to the REACH Learning Community for all of your contributions. Thanks, Blythe. Hey, Brian, side note, did you know that there's a volcano on Mars called Olympus Mons that's three times the size of Everest? Whoa, okay. So if you're listening to this in the future and you're one of our listeners who actually did go to Mars and stuff, just get a picture of Olympus Mons and send it to me and Meredith, no matter how old we are in the future. Yay, we'll still be there. Hey, if you're enjoying Reach, be sure to tell your friends and leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. And if you'd like to find us online, visit at Reach the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or on our website at reachthepodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.